What is up, Crip Nation? Good citizens of Crip Nation. I hope everybody is having a great morning, noon, or night. It's about to get a lot better. Uh, today we are joined by the wonderful Shiv Malik, who is the head of communications and marketing at Streamer. Welcome to the show. Welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on, taking the time. You're out in London. It is a little late there, but it is my morning, and uh, we're just going to get into Streamer. So what is Streamer? Why should we care? That's a great question. Um, so we're doing a couple of things. Uh, let me start with the thing that I think that sort of stands out the most, which is we're building uh, a platform for data unions. Mm. So, you know, there's been this huge problem in the world at the moment, which is that people go, look, hey, you know, all my data gets sucked up by these huge giants uh, like Google and Facebook and Twitter et al. Uh, they sell it on my behalf and then I end up with, you know, no privacy, and that's a huge problem in the world. Uh, and, and everyone involved in tech kind of knows that's the case. The question is, how do you resolve that issue? Uh, is there a way of actually doing that? Is there a way of owning your data and actually monetizing it right. on your behalf? And, and actually, is that, there's a really good point here, which is that actually, is that the solution? You know, because there are other people who are like, look, you know, we live in a panopticon society. Let's just close down all avenues uh, that kind of lead towards this. You know, just keep everything private. Uh, there are others who believe that you know all data, no data should be monetized because you know by trying to monetize it, we're kind of ruining really the the wider societal benefits. But I believe, I think Streamer believes, and 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 I think the route that hasn't been taken is this other third route, which is you own your data, you sell it, you make money from it. Uh, it's been a bit of a shibboleth, technically speaking, uh, as to who can get there, uh, and I think we're there. Awesome. So and that's so that, that. Yeah, we can dive into that a bit more if you want. Yeah, I feel like uh, from from doing some research, it looks like the streamer stack has several different products, just kind of like how Google has search and mail and docs and sheets and slides, right? So streamer has a host of products. What are the core elements of the streamer stack? So uh, we've got uh, the marketplace, which is kind of uh, encompasses this sort of uh, platform for building data unions. So that's the aspect where you can sort of take your data and monetize it, right? Uh, and I think, again, uh, on that, front, we're seeing the rise of data marketplaces. Uh, they're going to have a lot of failures, some successes. Let's see what comes, uh, comes out in the wash on that basis. Then you have this other part, which is a really massively ambitious topic. It's actually what we set out to do in the first place. So if you read our white paper, you'll see it's sort of uh, laid out there, which is to build a network, uh, a pub-sub, uh, peer-to-peer network for a data. A pub-sub? Yeah, as in publish and subscribe. Ah, uh, so okay. that defines a kind of a pattern of how uh, data is is uh, distributed uh, between people, uh, and it's it's a bit like the BitTorrent network. Do you remember the BitTorrent network? I mean, it's, actually, do you remember? It's still going. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's still very vibrant. <laughs> right. Imagine that network, uh, but made mainly just a bit more for machine data rather than kind of uh, maybe personal messages and that kind of a thing, um, but also sustainable and monetizable, right? So in, in essence, you can have other like uh, the Bitcoin network, you can have uh, miners or in this case nodes acting with incentives and, and sort of taking this data from one place to another, right? So at the moment, what's this, you know, what, what do people use at the moment? You know, every company in the world who works in real time has some kind of backend. Um, usually it's Amazon Web Service sort of based. Um, and they do all of the, the, you know, they do they push your data for you. Um, or some people use Apache Kafka, which is kind of this open source software. 
the problem is that there is no kind of a decentralized solution where you it's like a, almost a cloud-based amazon sort of service where amazon isn't right right at the heart of this all doesn't have control of the data doesn't get a view in into the metadata um so we need a system that in a sense just integrates into the internet as it stands at the moment and we don't have that uh, and th- that's really important so that's the other thing that we're building and then finally we've got this third thing which is you know every data scientist will know okay fine great so you've got somewhere to push your data through which is the network you've got somewhere to monetize your data if you really want to but you also need this thing in the middle which is that you need to just like visualize your data see what it is clean it up um, maybe attach it to a smart contract uh, use it to trigger something else uh, right. use it to build an oracle that kind of stuff well th- that tooling we also provide and Very that's cool. called core so and that one's called core yeah. Okay. Wonderful. So let's let's spend some time. I think it's very important to spend some time breaking down the concept of a data marketplace. You know, people might have heard the term, and I think people understand the idea. You know, a lot of the listeners that you know, Google takes our data that we produce on the web and all that kind of stuff and monetizes it. So they give us a service for free, and uh, we are the product that they sell for advertisements mm-hmm. and stuff. So let's talk about how the future of you know data sharing is going to look like with data marketplaces where we could kind of monetize what we are producing our digital footprint if you will so in a way i've seen these kind of i i see these big companies as sort of pirates right uh if you want to join the kind of high seas of communication you want to email someone you want to tweet you want to be on linkedin whatever you want to do in terms of reaching out to others digitally speaking you have, you know, you're going to be accosted by these pirates at some point or another who basically put a knife to your throat and say, well, you know, if you want to join the sea, you know, we're going to take your data from you. Uh, And that's it. That's the cost of of doing this. And I think, you know, people are kind of fed up with this at this point uh, in in the cycle. Why do you think people are fed up with it? You know? Well, I think there's a variety of reasons. Some people realize that you know, their privacy has been forsaken. And I think those people are actually small in number, but very vocal. Other people realize they're getting a bad deal and they yeah. see the kind of money flowing into Facebook and the power and control that comes with that. Uh, and, and it's not just Facebook, it's Google. You know, Mark Zuckerberg actually gets a lot of unfair press in that respect because, uh, you know, he, <laughs> he, sort of, he sort of led this uh, in many ways. And, and he is just one face. Whereas, you know, Google and Twitter are no different. Um, right. Uh, and, and I think there's somewhat some more affectionate look towards Jack uh, from Twitter, but you know, it's, they're all doing the same thing. And uh, I think in that sense, so people have had enough, either it's from the privacy perspective, the power control perspective, um, or they want a choice, right? You know, that people just want a choice. And they also think, you know, I'm being ripped off in some way and they don't really understand quite how, and that's a kind of erring sense that, you know, the future just does not look as good um, as it should do. Uh, and in fact, maybe the past was even better. And I think we had a better vision of what the web looked like, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And that's clearly uh, not occurred. And it's not yeah. taken place. It's not happened in that in that vision uh, where individuals were in control. And so what does a data marketplace really look like? Is it that, like, I, I'm just trying to conceptualize it. Yeah. So most people um, will probably have heard of, like, Bloomberg, right? Like, right. We, you know, he's very, he's really rich, right? Uh, and how did he get rich? Well, he gets rich because he sold a thing called Bloomberg Terminal. All that, all that is actually is a data marketplace, right? Where there's basically one centralized seller. 
um, and uh, he sells a lot of financial data. That's what he does. So these things aren't like that strange. Uh, Thomson Reuters, people might be familiar with that. Like they have uh, a huge data marketplace uh, where they sell to, to lots of different companies. So if you want insights, analytics, uh, you want to know what the weather is like in a particular area because, you know, that might give you information on crop yields or it might be that you want to find out what books are selling or not, right? Um, also, there's huge, vast array of data that's already being sold. Interestingly, the data, but that's usually business-to-business data, right? That There are established markets for that to an extent. Mm-hmm. What there and that's not the problem you're trying to solve, right? You're trying to solve consumer data, consumer to well, business? We, right. Well, where the ethical issues come in really are with this kind of social media uh, data. And all that data is being sold in dark markets. You can't really talk to these people and ask, you know, if you go to Facebook and find out like how much it costs to buy X, Y, and Z, it's all very hidden and dark and under the table, um, hmm. you know, it, 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 and if you want to go to, you know, we didn't even know, for example, that the major U.S. mobile providers were selling people's mobile data. And then when they said that they wouldn't, they still did. Right. <laughs> so all of really deeply shady uh, at best uh, and, and unethical uh, at worst. Uh, and actually, in some uh, in some cases, it's been uh, un, uh, unlawful. Um, Europe's moved to legislate all of that. So that's the kind of market that I think we want to create data marketplaces for. And the question has been, well, whose data is it, right? Is it, I, I, I go to a platform, I create this information. Is it my data or is it Google's data or Twitter's data, right? Who owns this? And that's what we're trying to solve here. Okay. So would I say, say I'm a blockchain developer on EOS or something like that, right? Is this, is Streamer a platform that I could call data from to start interacting with on any blockchain or is it only certain blockchains? How does that work? Yeah. I mean, data is data in a sense. You can, with streaming, you can, we're sort of blockchain agnostic. We use a payments uh, channel, which is through Ethereum. Um, So we've, you know, because these two things go hand in hand, the delivery of the data and then how you actually pay for it. So we're, we use a, a ERC-20 token to, to do all of that. Now, let's just go back to that issue around uh, building a kind of uh, solving this particular problem. So what we've done is created the concept of a, of a data union. Um, and if people know about Jared Lanier and his work and Glenn Weil with Radical Exchange, uh, then they'll get the idea of a kind of, you know, what they call MIDs, um, what we're calling data unions. Actually, Jaron Lanier uh, is the author uh, of a wonderful book, Who Owns the Future, uh, published in 2013. He just did a thing for the New York Times, so I, which I'd recommend watching a three-part video series. Could, could we break down the concept um, real quick so of, of a data, data union? What data unions do is basically allow you. Yeah. Perfect. So what is a data union? A data union is this from a technical perspective, right? The the issue about owning your data has been sort of threefold. One, how do you actually claim ownership and transfer it? So you kind of need a marketplace for that. Uh, how do you also get discovery, right? That's also a, an issue, a, a technical issue around, again, marketplaces. And the third thing is how do you then get paid for it? And if everyone needs to get paid like a couple of cents uh, a day, a week, then you're talking about micropayments and then you're going to need a blockchain type solution because the fiat banking system won't do that for you. 
So we basically combine those three aspects to say, to create a very simple thing where, you know, if let's say you've got data from Spotify, right? So you authorize this data union to, you know, you've seen that they sign in with Google, sign in with Twitter. Well, that right. system is known as the OAuth system. And you can just sign a, a permission, a third party app, in this case, a data union to, to view all that data. They then push that to a streamer uh, where it creates a huge fire hose of information as a product on our marketplace. Uh, the more people that join, the larger that product gets. Uh, so we've got a sort of a test run with a Spotify data union, and it's got about 50, 60 people in there um, just from our community. And it's really fun to watch the kind of fire hose and the canvas and like, you can see what everyone else is playing, right? Yeah. Their, their playlists and their songs and what time they played it, right? So it's actually a really useful repository of information already, right? Amazing. Um, I can see my song list, I can see the other people's song list and what they play. Um, and people can come along and then buy that. And when they subscribe to it, if you think that's useful information for you, for your business, uh, let's say, you know, you're in the music business, you want to know what people's habits are, great. You buy this. And then as soon as that is bought, it gets distributed. That money gets distributed out uh, in crypto tokens, obviously, to to everyone in that data union on equal basis, largely. So that's it. That's that's a kind of technical back end of this. So anyone can come along. Dev teams can come along. We've already got a couple of them. We've got about 25 people who uh, are at the, the, the external teams building data unions right now. So I could uh, theoretically just join any data union. Anybody could join any data union and say, you know, I'm a big Spotify listener, for instance. So I want to join that. So I could contribute my data to that group. Yeah. And get paid for it. it. Yeah, you can get paid for it, uh, and you can join pretty much any you know data union you want That's as amazing. long as you're ostensibly generating the data, right? So uh, it's a question of how fast we can, or, or our community, or the developers out there listening to this program can come along and, and, and build these data unions, right? Because there's no reason why you can't, in, in a sense, have one for Twitter. Uh, have one for pretty much any social media platform out there. Uh, have one. We've got you know people building one for Fitbit right now. Uh, there's a, a the the one that we're sort of demoing with because it's the most developed at the moment. Is a plugin, a browser plugin for both Chrome and Firefox, uh, and it just scoops up the kind of data that you want and you're happy with providing. Um, so there's a sort of you know the module system, so you can say yeah, I'm happy with this, I'm not happy with that, uh, and that's it. You're part of a data union and there's soon as that sells, you'll be making money with everyone else. So it's actually, technically, it's more of a data cooperative, but we're calling them data unions because it's an easier thing to kind of understand. Yeah. So this is kind of a future where users are taking back control of their identity and their data. Um, and do you, do you kind of see that this is going to be a trend that's unfolding? Like, how do you go? I mean, Google and, you know, they're the biggest, you know, one of the biggest companies in the world. Is How are we going to take them down? It, are there going to be more platforms like Streamer? Well, you know, we're kind of agnostic to whatever anyone wants to build. So people can just come and keep building these things on top, right? Um, and uh, so we don't need more Streamers. We just need more of these data unions. This is the world. Okay, look, so there's some non effects. If this succeeds, if the idea as a meme, if you want, of a data union succeeds, uh, then we get into a really interesting place, right? Because uh, let's say I'm a developer and I want to build my, um, you know, map service, right? Like a Google Maps, but I've got a great idea, X, Y, and Z. Now, what happens now is that you come along and you go, oh my God, I've got to get to 40 million users before I can start to compete with Google, right? Right. So that's really 
difficult, right? So it's a net, classic sort of network effects issue. If you get there, right, what happens? If you get to 10 million, Google starts to notice you and what do they do, right? They buy you out, just like with Waze. The nearest competitor to Google is owned by Google. Yeah, It's called Waze, <laughs> right? So, because um, they got bought out. And what does that mean? Everyone knows what's happening. It's not just Google, it's all the other companies. It just stifles innovation. Now, the laws at the moment don't restrict that because they're all free. So the law goes, well, look, if they're free, then you know you can't, you're not stifling competition because it's all free anyway. But we all know that the innovation that's being stifled, that means you just get the one app and that's it. It's all dominant. Now, if you have a world in which the underlying data set, which is being generated in Google's case by you and me driving around, right, using our phones, if you have that, and that is free and open for anyone to subscribe to and buy, that means we live in a world in which the underlying data, people can just come along and build on top of it, right? Build their app on top of it, whatever it might be. And Google can't stop them. And that is exactly how the world should be. I want to have a million apps to choose from and really choose the best and make sure that the innovation as it moves along isn't being stifled or bought up or hindered, right? It's like whoever has the best idea should win. And I want to live in that world. Yeah. And we don't live in that world by any means. So how important, like... Do you think privacy is and in in context of this um, just basically like people are joining the data union they are foregoing their privacy they're saying you look here's my Spotify playlist or here's my Twitter feed here's all my personal information and you're gonna pay me so in the past you know we didn't get our our privacy was violated and we didn't get paid for it now we're still opting in to quote unquote you know give away our privacy, but we get compensated for it. So is that right? Is that how it works? Yeah. So what we've done is try to take a privacy first approach, which means, what does that mean? It means that we're encouraging the people who are building these data unions to say, okay, look, uh, give people the control and the options to choose and how much information they want to give, which is a way better situation, of course, than, than the situation that people are in now. Right, where they have no options whatsoever in that respect. Um, so that's the first thing. But the second thing is, I'm going to hold up my hands here and say, I don't know what's going to happen on mm -hmm. this basis, which is how will people react, right? We live in a world at the moment where I go, here, look, you know, give me your information. You can use this email service or whatever it might be. Um, and, uh, and, and, and you can use it for free. And you go, that's fine. No problem. Then I say to you, okay, well, how about I give you $10 for that information, right? For the next month. And you will probably turn around and go, no way, right? I'm not telling you my birthday and my address and my credit card information and, you know, what I emailed to my girlfriend last week. I'm not going to give any of that to you for $10. Are you kidding me? And then I turn back to you and say, well, you just gave it to me for free. Like, what's your problem? I'm paying right. you now and you don't want it and you don't want to take the money. So I think there's going to be some cognitive dissonance um, in there. You know, it's a kind of very interesting uh, behavioral economics issue. I think we'll face that. I think data unions will face that. But I also think that that in itself will also generate, you know, the right kind of attitudes in people when they wake up and realize, oh, I've got a choice. Oh, this is worth something. Oh, I don't have to do this, right? And again, even if data unions like don't succeed, but this succeeds where people realize, ah, my privacy is worth something. Brilliant. In a sense, we'll have added to the world, though commercially may have failed. 
Hey guys, TiVo here to tell you about the Eufy Video Lock, a smart lock, a 2K camera, and a doorbell all in one. That's right, three in one for triple the security. It's easy to install. All you need is a Phillips screwdriver, no drilling required. It gives you keyless entry, so no more fumbling your keys when you have your hands full coming back from the grocery store. No more worry about the kids losing a house key. No more worry about a guest losing the house key or forgetting the passcode on your door. And for Airbnbers, it's a no-brainer as you can change the passcode at will between renters. It has available fingerprint recognition and it has AI self-learning chips. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You will have no anxiety with the battery charging. It is a rechargeable battery and it lasts around four months. But don't worry, when it's low, it'll give you plenty of weeks notice. And also, it always comes with a physical key as a backup. There's no monthly fee, unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee to get your backup recorded. They're always recorded locally and you will always have access. Customer support for the Eufy Video Lock is 24-7, so you don't have to worry about any issues you have, and it comes with an 18-month warranty. What I love about this product is it is truly all-in-one. With the three-in-one, you don't have to go out and buy multiple parts. It's all in this package with the Eufy Video Lock. So if you're interested in learning more, go on Amazon and search Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y Video Lock or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock. Again, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Eufy Video Lock. Get complete control over your front door. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, <laughs> I could really use Current. <laughs> I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Like that's still a win for me in some senses, um, but I, you know it, it'll be interesting to see how that pans out. And I think there's, um, you know, there's a big cultural shift going to take place because of this. So fascinating. I, I completely agree. I think there's going to be a huge cognitive dissonance. And I love that point that you said. Like, you know, people, I, I just people don't think about. It. I feel like people will think like they're, you know, not to be crude here, but they'll feel like they're prostituting themselves out. Whereas now they're prostituting themselves out and they don't even realize it. And so now when you attach a dollar value to it, they're like, Oh, well, well you're going to pay me for, for all this really personal information. Well, I don't want to do it. And it is like such a, such a gnarly cognitive dissonance, but it's, it's going to be a societal shift like over, you know, five, 10, 15 years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, think about it this way, right? Imagine going up to someone and you say you man a stall in a mall, right. And you, and you, and you're giving away, um, you know, ten dollars in in whatever it is, like vouchers, right? To for for a shop, right? For Walmart, right? Or, or whatever, whatever it might be. And you say to someone, um, "Hey, can you just give me your address and your birth date and your full name 
uh, <laughs> and your and your zip where code. you and grew you, up and you right, know right. what high school you went to and da da da. Right. And and here's this ten dollars, right? And people go, "Who the hell are you? Stop stalking me." That's crazy, right? Now, right. just flip that question around, right? Say, hey, look, do you want $10? Oh, and by the way, do you mind filling out this form with some information, right? And they'll probably go, yes, right? They, we're all kind of very habituated to kind of just giving away this stuff for free. And it's a question of how you flip those questions around. And we've all had that second question put to us like time and time again, and we keep losing, right? Right. And what's also crazy is people just don't realize that Every time you go swipe your credit card somewhere, for instance, mm. all that data that we just talked about, you know, all that personal information is getting transmitted to all these different financial institutions and, you know, it, all these different people are selling your information. So people don't even realize what's happening. You go, you swipe your credit card and you're giving all that information in your pet for a product that you're buying. Yeah. Can I buy some chewing gum or a bottle of water in a store? without telling that store my intimate details of my life. Like, no, we used to be able to do that. <laughs> right, not, not if you use a credit card, right? That's why right. people are like, we must use cash. But like, I want the convenience, but I don't want to give away my privacy. And you don't even know you're doing it, right? So there we go. I, I think we're actually trending towards a cashless society. You know, cash is always, you know, it's a bare instrument. You bring it with you. Nobody asks questions, unless you're depositing a large sum at a bank. Nobody asks, where'd you get that $100 or whatever, right? And so I think, and it's, it's really hard to trace cash as well. There's very limited traceability to, to cash. And so I kind hmm. of foresee a future where we're not going to have cash and that's not going to be an option because cash is too powerful as a medium of exchange in this day and age. Uh, you know, as, as, as privacy preserving. So, you know, you already see countries like China moving in this direction with Alipay and WeChat Pay, where every single transaction is, is totally monitored and totally mapped. But I mean, what are your views on, on cashless society in the next 10 years or not? I mean, I, I, here's the experiment that I just did in a sense, like I went to Japan and they used cash for, for just so much. Um, pretty much everything. You have to have cash on you all the time. Um, I had to pay someone, I think, you know, um, $800 just upfront in cash, uh, like again, or like a thousand and a half dollars, like, um, because they wouldn't accept anything. They just, you know, wouldn't accept credit cards, like not a thing. Um, and it's really inconvenient. Um, I guess you can, you know, it's like living in, in, in London, like, you you know, everything's, um, contactless, right. Um, in America, you're still like signing stuff, uh, which I find like incredibly archaic. Uh, I'm like, please just like, I just want to touch it and go. Um, so the, you know, convenience is king. Uh, and the problem is, is that it also means, you know, giving up on your privacy in many senses and people will always, it seems the trend is, uh, in terms of billions of people, they will sacrifice their privacy for an extra 15 seconds or five seconds of life. Right. Um, on their terms, which is crazy, but there we go. So how do we flip that around again? I think giving, waking people up through the activity of owning your data, right? This is the thing. It's sort of a little crazy. If you want to actually own your data, like what does that mean? We don't have any of the infrastructure set up. Like if I said, okay, hey, like you want to sell your house? Okay, but there's no estate agents. Uh, You don't know the price of your neighbor's house or anyone in your neighborhood. No one sold a house before. And uh, oh, and by the way, there's no like monetary system you can use, right? Mm -hmm. Now, 
in that world, I ask you, hey, how much is your house worth? And like, where, why haven't you sold it already? And you're like, well, you know, I've got to create estate agencies, right? Uh, like, you know, I, I need a realtor, God damn it. Uh, um, so in a sense, we're, we're, we're at that level with selling your own, owning your data. Like you've got to have like owning, ownership is only meaningful if you have all of these other things uh, to make, to realize a transfer of that ownership. And so that's that, you know, that's why people have lagged as individuals behind big companies. You know, big companies trade information all the time, all the time. But there is no infrastructure for individuals to be able to do it. And that's why I think what streamers is doing is so massively important. You know, again, we might end up not winning out uh, and beating other people, but we're definitely a leader in this. And I, and I love the fact that that's the case. Hey, Crypt Nation, real quick interruption from our wonderful sponsors over at eToro. If you guys haven't had a chance to check them out yet, I mean, we talk about them every day. You guys should really go check them out. Just go to crypto101podcast.com slash eToro. And Pete, why don't you tell them about them? What is eToro? It's one of the easiest ways to buy and sell crypto with confidence, first of all. Uh, they've been around since 2007. Uh, all the assets they have on there have been looked at really, really well. It's legal in over 140 countries and trusted by over 10 million users. So if you're not one of them, why? Yeah, seriously, you got to be asking yourself that question. And, you know, they've been around since 2007. Uh, they started trading crypto assets in 2013. So these cats are the real freaking deal. And my favorite aspect about it is that it's so beginner friendly and it's so expert friendly, but they give you this $100,000 virtual trading simulator so you can practice, you know, executing trades and, you know, technical analysis and all that kind of stuff before you actually put your money where your mouth is. So that's my favorite aspect of the whole thing. My favorite aspect is how easy it is to sign up. I didn't have to wait days for KYC to be approved or anything like that. Literally within two minutes, I was able to use my account. Yeah, it's nuts. Anyhow, guys, as you know, not all platforms are created equal. So go ahead, check it out for yourself. And then uh, hit us with a DM and let us know what you guys think. All right, back to the show. I'm going to switch gears here just a little bit. I'm kind of curious to get your take on Bitcoin. What do you think of Bitcoin? Because it has a lot of the same properties (laughs) that you're talking about, you know, in owning your own data, right? Stuff like that. And, you know, maintaining financial privacy that, you know, you could have a Bitcoin address that's not tied to any of your personal information, but just kind of at a high level, you know, what's, what's your take on Bitcoin? Um, I'm more of an Ethereum man. And, uh, you know, I like the difference between the more libertarian uh, Bitcoiners, you know, and a lot of them are high libertarians, right? So they, yes, they're all about privacy, but they're also about self, self-sovereignty. Uh, but also self-sovereignty in the political space, like hard political space, right? I'm an individual, like this is my, I own this land, get off. And, you know, they're often the gun, get confused with the gun crowd as well, right? I'm more of an Ethereum person in the sense that, like, there's a guy uh, called Wendell Davis who said something on stage at the last DEFCON, DEFCON 4. He said, like, you know, we're building tools for human coordination. And I see myself coming from that space. I wrote a book um, back in 2020. Uh, called Jilted Generation. Um, it's all about economics and the kind of millennial generation not being able to uh, have as good an economic life as their parents, right? And I think we've seen some of that play out with kind of housing and, and rents and and the job market and pensions, right? And that got me thinking about cooperative methods uh, in economics. And I think Ethereum really is proving to be far more interesting to me anyway, at least at that level. And, you know, Bitcoiners and Ethereum people sometimes get on more often than not. They kind of, you know, they'll, 
I start scrapping, uh, especially on Twitter. Um, but I'm definitely in the Ethereum scene. I, I love those guys. I, I love the whole. Uh, I mean, I'm definitely in Ethereum through and through. That's awesome. That's typically an opinion that we don't get very much here on Crypto 101. So I very much uh, uh, like that stance that you take there. Well, don't uh, at me. Don't at me. <laughs> Snap my fingers in a Z formation. <laughs> So, so let's hop back to streamer real quick. Uh, you know, how do you guys make money? What's how, how is there a business behind this? You guys take a cut. Um, what's the business model? I think like most, uh, open source projects is a question of like, you know, adoption. Uh, if you know, you need, uh, if you want to use the technology that we've created in terms of the data unions, you know, the more data unions there are, the more people there are, well, the more that you have to use data coin, uh, and data tokens to be able to, uh, perform those payment functions great so that's one apps aspect of uh, adoption but also when we get the network uh, actually the network has been launched now um just a couple of days ago actually um, congratulations uh, thank you um so it's we're on the first step and we haven't built in the incentivization layers yet um but people can use it now it's decentralized there are i think two nodes uh, so we're building that out, but there's no incentivization for nodes to join yet. And so it's only trusted nodes and, and trusted parties who are inviting in uh, at this stage. But we're getting there. Um, we've got about another year and a half of development or so. Uh, and that's another aspect to Digicoin's use. Awesome. Could, so you were just at DevCon, I remember you mentioned. And could you give us a little bit of insider insight into ETH 2.0? What is your take on that? How's it coming along? You are Mr. ETH. <laughs> so look, I won't speak to the purely technical aspects because I'm not qualified to do so, but I will speak on the kind of governance issues. And it's something that has plagued, I think, all major uh, networks, right? And what do we mean by governance? It's it's like, okay, once you've got your chain up and, and you know, Bitcoiners will know this too, how do you collectively take decisions when there are no centralized parties to, in the end, defer to? Uh, and no one wants centralized parties. Fine, great, uh, in control. So how do how do people take decisions like this, right? And if it's just a question of, well, I've got the most tokens, therefore my vote corresponds to you know to that, then you end up with some kind of plutarchy, oligarchy situation, and you know you run through all of these issues. Uh, you know, people, is it just one person, one vote? I mean, leaving civil attacks kind of aside. Um, then, you know, how on earth do you kind of get that up off the ground? And why should like, you know, someone who's been using, you know, the Bitcoin network or the Ethereum network for like seven seconds, like get a say in how it runs. So there's all of these issues. And um, the worst part is, is that once you have a network up and running and it is actually adopted, then trying to build in like governance afterwards, like in a post hoc fashion is really hard. And I've sat in those meetings uh, a number of them with some really, you know, vested players and you can't get them to agree. Um, you know, <laughs> I was going to compare it to Brexit, uh, being in, in Britain. <laughs> um, but it turns out they, they just today as we're recording, they've actually agreed a deal. So, um, <laughs> Brexit oh, may did? turn out to be easier than, <laughs> yeah, they just, no, not in parliament, but the, the European union and, and the British government have agreed another deal. Yeah. Wow. So uh, it may turn out that Brexit was easier than, than building Ethereum or, or Bitcoin <laughs> governance. Uh, God help us all. <laughs> so, so, so you're pretty, you're feeling pretty good about, 
uh, ETH 2.0. Is that right? Well, no. It's in a sense, ah. to conclude, the, the governance aspects, I think, are going to plague whatever comes next. I don't. I think it was pretty quiet and subdued uh, in many respects on actually what's going to happen on ETH 2.0. You know, last year was uh, in Prague was uh, at Dipcon 4 was far more bullish. Uh, I think that's kind of died down. So it it felt like there was, you know, this grittiness to whether this would actually happen uh, and people weren't sure. Um, and I think the next six months are probably going to be very crucial in, in telling whether this is going to happen or not. Uh, and if it doesn't, I think there's going to be major issues with the Ethereum network. You know, there are thousands and thousands of developers. It clearly is the most popular network in terms of attracting developers. Um, uh, and they can't just, you know, offload to somewhere else. Um, uh, but they're going to have to if, if if we don't get ETH 2.0. Yeah. Um, that's, I mean, we always talk about, you know, FUD, right? Fear, uncertainty, doubt. It sounds like we're really in that uncertainty period uh, mm. with Ethereum. But yeah, and price is obviously reflecting that. But, you know, if we if we get it out, if we, if we see the light at the end of the tunnel, we make it. I think there's a lot of upside for this network because as you said, it is far and away the most actively developed platform in the crypto space. And if Ethereum went down, we would all be having a bad time. If Ethereum went down, we would go far below even a hundred million dollar total market, hundred billion dollar market cap for the entire space. Um, I'm bullish. No, on absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm absolutely bullish on Ethereum and all the, you got some of the smartest guys in the world, you know, obviously Vitalik and Vlad and, Aditya building, you know, some really, really smart protocols. So they have my best wishes and, you know, they're in my thoughts and prayers every day. And I hope they're in everybody's <laughs> thoughts and prayers. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So man, real, real quick, just in closing, I just got a, a couple last questions for you. These are some fun questions that we just like to ask everybody that comes on the show. Just adds a little bit of color to the whole thing. So uh, if you had to choose one company in the crypto space, besides Streamer, of course, that was making the most substantial impact, uh, what would you say it would be? Uh, you know, Bryce, I was preparing to, uh, for you to ask me about people. Um, <laughs> do you, shall I answer, do you want me to answer the one about, yeah. about companies? Yeah, take your time. Feel free. There's no rush. So look, I love Colony. Colony? Um, yeah, so they're in the them. kind of yeah they're in the DAO space and okay. um, they the development is kind of um, they they just pushed out their sort of first version if you want um, and it's a kind of pro forma DAO if you for running organizations so it's pretty simple to use it's not quite as complicated maybe as say, Aragon. Um, and Aragon allows you to do lots of other different things, but this allows you to do just one simple thing well. Um, and the pattern is, hey, you go to work, so if you're going to run your workspace as a DAO, like, what would that look like? And that's what it is. It's it's pretty beautiful. I love the team. Uh, Oren is great. Uh, Dan Daniel is also they're lovely. They're really lovely guys, and they, they're smart and they they know what they're doing. And actually, Oren. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but uh, he, he was also part of the DAO. Um, so, you know, uh, they, you know, there's some veterans from that time. Uh, and when I say a part of, I mean like a real, real part of, like not just like a participant in. Um, so, you know, I love the team. 
uh, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to them developing more and more. Amazing. So, yeah, guys, if, if you guys are listening, you guys don't know what a DAO is. Uh, it's DAO, Decentralized Autonomous Organization. It's ways to structure pseudo companies that are self, uh, self-regulating and stuff. So we should probably uh, do a deep dive on that in one of these episodes here because they're, they're going to change the way that you know, businesses are governed and stuff. But Shiv, uh, last question, since you're so well prepared for this, I would feel bad if I didn't ask you. Who, who, who do you admire in this space? Who really inspires you? Who is somebody that has maybe left a really big impression on you? Ooh, um, so three people. Uh, Lane Reddick, who's an Ethereum uh, developer uh, and has a big thing about governance. Uh, I really love um, what he's been saying on that front, uh, although we don't always agree. Uh, I love, because I think you can't not love, uh, Maria Paula from Gollum, uh, MP, as she's known to most people, because she's just so energetic and active uh, on, on, on almost every front. I'd, pr- I'd appreciate an introduction to her so that we could get her on the pod. We love high energy folk. Yeah, she's awesome. She's really awesome. She's everywhere all the time. Um, <laughs> I love also Gollum akin- too. Yeah, and uh, Ashley Tyson from Web3 is also uh, similar in that sense, like a, just a big energy powerhouse uh, in terms of getting stuff done. And finally, I know I said three, but now it's four, uh, Tor Bear. Um, I think he's just awesome. He's so he's so lovable, but also really smart, just really smart and really humble from Enigma. Uh, he's the head of growth. Uh, he does a great podcast as well. Um, he's worth listening to. Amazing. Yeah. That's perfect. Those are great. We're going to tag them in this. Uh, hopefully they, they listen all the way through so that they can hear their shout outs. Great. I love them all. Yeah. Well, thank you so much Shiv, for taking the time today. Um, as everybody could probably realize pizza mind is still out sick, poor chap, but, uh, he will be back for the weekly fire. No doubt in my mind. And, uh, guys, uh, if you guys want to stay in touch with Shiv, go ahead and follow him on Twitter. And what's the Twitter handle? It's at Shiv Malik. At Shiv Malik, easy peasy. And what's streamer, uh, streamer's Twitter? Uh, at streamer. Uh, so without the E-R at the end. So it's S-T-R-E-A-M-R, no E. That's right. Okay, That's right. perfect. Well, man, thank you so much for taking the time and we will see you soon. Thanks for having me, man. It was Ab- really enjoyable. <laughs> Absolutely. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.